This is Truth Encounter, and as Dave Wurtson continues our study in Deuteronomy chapter 7 today on the subject of holy war, he uses the example of Samson, a godly man who thought he was exempt from God's moral law, to clarify one of the reasons why the king of the universe called for the extermination of the Canaanites. It's time to expose the doublespeak about sexuality that is yielding death to so many. There are strong realistic reasons why marriage promises should be made before couples go to bed with one another. Let's join Dave as he tells the sad story of one man who forgot these reasons and paid the consequences. You say, David, I've sinned and nothing ever happened. You're like Samson. You see, Samson was a man of God. He was a man that had the Spirit of God upon his heart. And Samson had tremendous strength because the Spirit of God was in him. But he started sleeping with the Canaanites. He started sleeping with the Philistines. He started sleeping with, um, with, with immoral situations, just one after another, different women, different prostitutes. And you know what happened? The Philistines would attack and he'd rise up and he'd win a great victory. Man, he'd tie foxes' tails together, he'd take the jawbone of an ass, and he'd kill everyone. You know what Samson began to say? God won't do it to me. God's just, God's not gonna, God's not gonna hold me to account. That's one of the great plagues of all of our life, is to think, because he doesn't zap me, that I'm getting away with it. The Canaanites felt that. For 400 years, they just lived in rank, adulterous violence and cruelty and immorality. They sacrificed their kids. They lived for immorality. And they acted like there wasn't a Lord God in heaven that would do a blessed thing. And little did they realize the Lord God in heaven is a compassionate Father who waits and waits and waits. But I want every one of you to realize I would be very much amiss and I would be amiss to my own family if I didn't, didn't say there comes a time when a person is reproved often reproved, there will come a time when you'll be cut off without remedy. And that's what this Canaanite invasion is about. God said after 400 years, that is it. And he brings the armies of Israel in. There came a time when that Canaanite faith became just a disguise, just a cover for just a blatant disobedience to the will of God. God was very patient. He never judges us just haphazardly and and without any warning, he doesn't just zap us. And we are, but we never need, we need to be very careful not to read the patience of God as being that God isn't going to do anything. And finally, I want you to see the infection's potency of immorality and violence. You know, one of the things about this passage, I've heard lecture after lecture about the extermination of the Canaanites and how could have Israel ever do, done that. I want to tell you something. There never was an extermination of the Canaanites. In all the debates, I've, I've, we've debated this at seminary, I've debated it in secular context. Do you realize there never was an extermination of the Canaanites? Jericho fell. They won great victories over the armies that gathered against them. But guess what? I wrote my doctoral dissertation in the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea was written in the 800 B.C., it was written about 600 years after this material, and guess what? 
the Canaanites were very much alive and well. You know where they were? Right infiltrated among the people of Israel. In fact, my dissertation is all about a group of so-called Israelites that have become so infiltrated with the worship of Baal and Ashtar and Anat and the different Canaanite deities, they don't even know the difference. They don't know when they're worshiping Canaanite gods and when they're worshiping the true God. If you don't think that that's a true evaluation, archaeology has found, has found rocks that have to the worship of Yahweh and his Asherah. About 60 miles south of Beersheba, which is in the southern part of Israel. Beersheba is like one of the last cities before you start moving into the southern wilderness. Archaeologists about 60 miles south from the 700s and 800s BC have found inscriptions that read like this, to Yahweh and his Asherah, two of them. I want to share something with you. As you open the pages of Genesis, you will read about Yahweh's female goddess, that's his consort. You ever read about that? You know why you don't read about that? Because you know what the revelation of God's about? It's about morality. It's not about a family of gods who, or, or, who are just the reflection of our own little uh, soap opera dramas that we act out in our society. You see, the big treasure that Israel received was this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is totally unique. He is in a class by himself. There is no one who stands with him. There is not a female goddess that is in the deity with him, in the Godhead with him. And what God did is in one fatal swoop, he forever eliminated this idea of, of somehow people could magically carry out little rituals and they could get the heavenly gods to do what the earthly people were doing so there would be prosperity. You see, the great gift that Yahweh gave to the nations is hero Israel in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and he is one eternal, moral, absolute, infinite, holy God. You say, Dave, all this is ancient history. You know, like you're talking to us about 800s. You're talking to us about holy war that happened a long time ago. What does any of this stuff have to do with us today? Canaanite worship is filling the United States of America. What's Hollywood about? Five minutes of entertainment tonight and you get a whole mouthful of Canaanite worship. Violence and immorality. And a whole bunch of us think that's entertainment. That's what we pay our money for. That's what scintillates us. And then we say it doesn't have any effect upon us. Then how come so many of our marriages aren't making it very long? You think it's really good for a marriage, for a husband to go? and be tintillated by a, a perfect 10? And for violence to be involved in that? You think the everydayness of taking kids to school and giving birth to babies and, and raising those precious kids, you think it can compete with a bunch of beautiful, perfect people? How many cripples have you seen on entertainment tonight? How many sick people have you seen? How many people have you seen that are ugly, like most of us? Canaanite worship is all around us. And what I want you to see is Canaanite worship is a farce. Canaanite worship is just a, is a, is a, is a visionary dream world where there's no older people. There's no suffering. 
It's all let's just play pretend down in southern Florida on the beach. It's like one eternal spring break. That's what Canaanite worship. You want to understand what Canaanite worship is about? It's, it's supposedly a religious spring break. And I want to share with you, young people and adults, that will destroy you. It'll take you away from everything that is dear, everything that is precious, the stuff in life that really counts in the end. Things like faithfulness and truthfulness and love and moms and dads whose kids can count on them and and kids whose mom and dad can count on them and, and the beauty of generating families that can come home to one another. What do we have in our society today? We don't have that. We have divided families and brokenness and just one big mess after another. And praise God for his grace and for his forgiveness. And I want every one of you to realize that God loves to invade Canaanite behavior. And during those 400 years of grace, he loves to change. If your heart has become soft and your heart has responded and you've returned to the cross of Calvary and you've let Christ forgive you, you are clean. You're not a Canaanite anymore. But if you've really had that happen, your heart's going to weep over the canonizing of the American culture. And what's the answer? The answer is not to invade with holy war of extermination under the new covenant. Jesus is going to do that. In in Revelation 19, there will be another holy war. But right now, in the age of grace, we're in the age of 400 years of patient waiting, of patiently calling out to those that are destroying their babies. You can be forgiven. You can have a new heart. Jesus can help you to have a relationship with him and you'll be totally reunited even with those little ones that you destroy. If you've been immoral and you've messed yourself up, Jesus says, my blood can make it spotless, can wash it whiter than snow. We're in the age of the 400 years of God waiting. But what I'm telling you this morning is don't take for granted while he waits. Don't think that he's not just. Don't think that there won't come a time when he says that's enough. Because he is not only gracious and compassionate, he is also just and holy and pure. Now what's the danger to those that begin to execute the punishment of God? What's the danger to a law enforcement agency that has to execute what the Bible says is the law of God against violent and moral criminal behavior? What's the danger of that presumption? presumptuous pride. You see, what the text goes on to tell us in the next section in verses 7 and following, notice what the Lord says to the people. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than the other peoples. The Lord says to Israel, don't believe that I chose you because you were the most populous nation on earth or the most beautiful people I could find. I did not choose you because you were more numerous, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the dependable, faithful one. He is the one who will keep his covenant love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repent of their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repent of their face, those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. You see, Israel gets a bad rap about the fact that they were commanded to go in and kill the Canaanites. They never did it. They never obeyed the Lord. You know what the script, the whole story of the Old Testament is about how they didn't do it. 
And they were infiltrated, just like the people of God often are. They were infiltrated by Canaanite worship. They were infiltrated by the same violence and immorality that they were supposed to destroy. And you know what the text is saying? Is God is saying, don't you think for a minute that you, can, that you were chosen because you're good, that you were chosen because you're better than everyone else. You see, a very powerful temptation when you're used in the hands of God, when God uses you as an instrument, you begin to presume upon Him. You begin to think, I'm exempt. A lot of you ask the question, how in the world, how in the world can, can someone that's just so powerfully used to the Lord, how can someone like that fall into sin? It's easy. And I want you to really pray for Mary and I in regard to that and pray for pastors throughout this land. Satan has mounted a, a mighty onslaught against men of God that are teaching the Word of God. And you know what's making them fall? Presumption. You see, what a guy does is he begins to think, I just spoke in a youth meeting, and 50 kids received Christ as our Savior. So they go up in their room at night, the motel room, and, and they can watch an X-rated movie, and nobody will ever, ever know. Nobody will know. So they watch it. And nothing happens. The next night they go to another meeting and 150 kids respond for the Lord. So this time it goes a little bit deeper. They watch two or three movies. And as time goes on, they begin to be sucked into a trap. You know what? The Spirit of God keeps using them. You know why? Because the message of the gospel is a message of truth. And they're an instrument in his hands. But they begin to presume, just like I talked about earlier with Samson, I can get away with it. You see, the, the, the big thing about stardom is that you think you're above everyone else. You see, a lot of Hollywood actors will say, well, I know I can have relationships with anyone I want to. Not everybody can do that, but I'm a big star and I need it. Baloney. It's wrong for you and it's wrong for me. And my prayer this morning that every single one of you will be humble and tender and very, very keenly alert to your conscience. Your little kids can really help you with that. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever tried to explain to one of your little kids, why are you watching that? And you start, blah, 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 blah. Learn to be very alert to your conscience. And don't presume, man, I'm used of God. I can get away with it. Be very, very careful of that. The second thing is not only the sin of presumption, but the Lord warns his people at the end of this chapter about this sin of infiltration. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 12. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant with you as he swore to your forefathers. He will love you and he will bless you and he will increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks, and the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you. In other words, the way of God. The way of following God's commandment is a way of blessing. It's a way of prosperity. You will be blessed more than any of the other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor any of your livestock without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. You must destroy all the peoples. The Lord your God gives over to you. Why? Do not look on them with pity and do not serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. And I want you to see that phrase, that will be a snare to you. And I want you to see this contrast. God is promising you. If you're a born-again follower of God, if we can apply this to our own lives today, one of the basic points we can learn from the nation of Israel is that God's morality, 
God's morality produces blessing, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. It doesn't mean you can jump automatically if you become sick and say, well, I blew the command of God. That's only one of the questions you should ask you, ask yourself. Because Job, for example, became very ill, but I think it's very, and, and he was not sinning. So we need to be very careful not to make those jumps. But I think we also need to be careful to not recognize the connection between obedience to the moral commands of God that Jesus can enable us to do and the blessing in health and prosperity. If you don't get drunk every night, if you don't smoke like a smokestack, if you control your eating, if you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you rejoice in that good gift the Lord has given you, you know what? You'll probably live longer. That's just the way things are. That's what the Scripture is telling us. And you say, well, why are things like that? Because God loves us. There's a good chance if you don't have immoral relationships with someone that doesn't belong to you, if you don't engage in homosexual activity, if you have one exclusive monogamous marriage partner for a lifetime, you know what? There's a very, very good chance you will not get AIDS. That's the truth. And that's what Deuteronomy is telling us. And I want you to think really clearly. I want you to realize homosexuals can find Jesus Christ and it is tough. They can be changed, and boy, is it tough. Wall Street Journal, Dan just gave me an article. The Wall Street Journal made fun of a, a body of believers that was trying to really get people to turn away from that behavior, and they just laughed at them, talking about how foolish it was. That's what the secular world's always going to say about the power of Jesus to change lives. But he can. It's tough, but he can. But I want to share something with you. You can redefine homosexuality anytime you want to, and I know that this will not be a popular message, especially among many members of our society. Just to illustrate how health and prosperity and blessing come from obedience to God's moral standards, death comes when you disobey. They had a big marriage. They have a guy in clerical robes, supposedly representing the Word of God. You think Canaanite worship is, is long gone. It's against the laws of God. And our newscasts just act like this is the most normal thing going. I don't think you really believe that. You know what the very next picture was? Hundreds of hundreds of precious people that Jesus loves that had a quilt and the tears were rolling down their face. You know why there was tears in their eyes? Because a whole lot of their buddies weren't there. You know why? Because they died. But you know what no one ever dares say? What I want to know is, when are we going to have smokers for freedom? We're going to have a gigantic march in Washington, smokers for freedom, and we're going to declare the liberation. You can smoke wherever you want to. You can give it to babies. You can give it to anyone you want to. Just smoke to your heart's content, and we're going to have a great big quilt, Lung Cancer Anonymous. I want you to think very clearly. Why aren't we going to have that? Because though for years the cigarette companies have denied it, every medical doctor has known for centuries now, for year after year, there are connections. There's some very plain cause-effect relationships. The probabilities are astronomical. If you smoke like a smokestack, 
you're going to get lung cancer and it will kill you. And that's destructive. And we don't declare the freedom to smoke. See, that's what I, I want you to think about these things. What God is saying is if you obey me, if you live the way I want you to live according to my loving, gracious, merciful guidelines, nine times out of ten, you're going to be a lot more healthy. And I plead with the kids. I plead with you adults. That's a great freedom that Christ gives us to. And we live in a society that doesn't want to make those connections at all. And we can't afford it. We can't afford the destruction of innocent life. And you say, well, Dave, what am I going to do about it? Don't let it infiltrate you. Friends of mine, as we close, friends of mine on the Vice Squad in, in Long Island, a friend of mine, had when I, he'd come up to Word of Life and visit us. And uh, he'd come up, he had really long blonde hair. He, he wouldn't wear his shirt, he'd just wear a vest. Like an idiot, I don't know why he do. He put his gun right in the small of his back. I mean, every idiot could see that he had a gun, but he always had his gun. But he was on the Vice Squad in New York City, which is a really interesting place to be in the Vice Squad. I talked to his dad after he, he spent about four days with us and kind of got recuperated. And I talked to, my, talked to his dad, you know, about he was just like the guys on TV, you know, real handsome guy, you know, just really exciting stories. Man, he could tell stories you wouldn't believe. His dad, I got together with his dad, and his dad says, man, I'm really worried. I said, what are you worried about? He said, my son has been doing this for about three years. He said the first year he was sick to his stomach. I mean, he would tell us stories, and he'd have to, you know, he was just so sick at the behavior. The next year, he wasn't sick anymore. And now in his third year, I'm appealing, I'm appealing to his superiors. He needs to get out of there. Bob Vernon told me that when he was assistant police chief in L.A., they'd only let the guys be in vice about three years. Because by the third year, it wasn't bad anymore. You've all heard the old story. It's an old, old illustration that I was told when I was a kid, but I'll never forget it. We're all like little frogs, and we're sitting on top of a hot stove, and the water's nice and cool, and slowly but surely the evil one turns the water on. You know what? The frog adapts to that hot water because he's that kind of, you know, just a cold-blooded animal, and he just warms right up with it. And he just thinks it's the greatest thing imaginable until you just boil him alive. And that's what Satan does in our lives morally. This is a tough chapter. It's a chapter that can live in a world with David Koresh's. Satan always lies, and then he abandons, and then he just murders. He lets everything go up in smoke. The true Messiah says, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not. I love them. They're precious in my sight. The true Lord Jesus, you girls, the true Lord Jesus, you, could be, you can be totally alone with him and he would never abuse you. Ever, ever, ever. It's not even in his being. Every one of you girls, you precious girls, are going to be safe with your precious Messiah for eternity. Guys, the Lord Jesus is the ultimate man. He's the one that will make you a strong man for the Lord God of heaven. He is the promised one. He's the only one with the right credentials. Don't allow Canaanite worship to suck you down. Don't believe that just presumptuously, well, it's not going to happen to me. The ultimate holy war took place on Calvary. 
You see, what God did on Calvary is all this justice and all this wrath that he poured out against the Canaanites in the Old Testament, that he poured out against sin, there was a moment in time where he poured out that wrath, that holy wrath against his son. You know what he invites you to do? He invites you to climb in behind that son and let Jesus shield you. And then you're wide open to receive the mercy and grace of God. That's what the new covenant is about. The new covenant is about a time period now where we can be forgiven, where homosexuals can be transformed by the power of Christ, where those that are sexually immoral in other ways can become clean and, and holy and pure again, where liars and those of us that are prideful and selfish, all those different passions of our flesh can be overcome by the spirit of the living Christ dwelling within us, and we can be forgiven, totally and completely forgiven. God's going to invade the land again, only this time it'll be the entire world, Revelation 19. But today, he comes just in a humble, still, quiet voice and says, I love you, I died for you, I cherish you, I want you to think clearly about your sin, I want you to think clearly about what immoral things will do to you, and I want you to let me forgive you, and then I want you to let me transform you. And if that's happened in your life, I want you to go out into the midst of the darkness and explain the truth, reveal the truth, live the truth. We need to take it out of the walls of this little tiny building. That's what our culture is trying to keep you in here. They're trying to get you to talk about all these things in here and hear all this truth in here, but be silent out there. Well, it's out there in the streets. It's out there in the streets where they need to hear.